0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for...
1: Or the perfect table.
0: Hey, where are you?
1: And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card.
0: Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it.
1: And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The names behind the numbers. The stories behind the names. This is the Her Hoop Stats Podcast with John Little.
2: I love how people are now taking ownership of the WNBA. You know, we do have a lot of people in social media and in the media that don't support the WNBA, but we have even more people that do.
1: The biggest newsmakers, the best storytellers, the Her Hoop Stats podcast. Here's your host, John Little.
3: Wow. Welcome into another week of the Her Hoop Stats Podcast. John Little here with you. And boy, we had a great first week. Petra Pinachero, our first guest, and then uh, the bonus content we were able to bring you with the Dallas Wings. That was a lot of fun. And today we've got another fun conversation with Tamika Catchings and also the new voice of the Minnesota Lynx as well. Sloan Martin will be joining us in just a few minutes, too. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for subscribing or liking us wherever you get your podcast. I think we've got it, like, all covered now, including Stitcher, and uh, we're working on some other avenues, too, but uh, 99% of the places where you get your podcast, we're going to be there. Uh, So make sure, especially on Apple Podcasts that you uh, rate us and review us. That's what helps other people find the podcast, of course. So uh, there's that little plug. But from the bottom of our hearts, we appreciate it. Thank you so much for doing so. Well, Tamika Catchings, our guest today, our feature conversation is with the five-time defensive player of the year, the 12-time all-defensive team member, a top 20 at 20 player. And I wonder if you really broke it down you know, where she would rank as far as the top players in WNBA history. Top five, probably. Top three. You know, I think a lot of people would say that. And some may even say that she's the best player that this league has ever seen when you look at the totality of her career. So uh, as good as she was on the floor, my gosh, she's an even better person Off the floor. And if you're not familiar with great work Tamika Catchings has done, you'll hear a little bit of that, and you're gonna hear how gracious of a person she is, and what a great ambassador for the game she is. That's why I'm so excited about this chat with Tamika Catchings. Now, over the previous two years, she was the director of player programs and franchise development, not only with the Fever, but then also basically with the entire Pacers organization. So the Pacers, the Mad Ants, and the Fever as well. She did that for two years, and now she's moving into a vice president of Fever basketball operations role. So more from working with the players and helping develop them to more of the front office role. So I asked Amika right off the bat, you know, what's the difference in her day-to-day these days?
2: <laughs> I don't even know where to start. Um, it's been fun. You know, the transition to the corporate side has been a lot of fun. So like you said, the last couple of years, doing more player development and professional development. So helping our players think what's next and where can they potentially look at, you know, from a job standpoint when they're finished with their playing career. Whereas now, It's really been about, you know, helping select the team and kind of looking at the vision of where we see ourselves as a franchise and the the product that we put on the court, which is our players. So I've had kind of more day-to-day with looking at players, looking at the team that we put together. The season just started. We won our first game this past Friday at New York and unfortunately lost against Connecticut, but we're still on a roll, um, two games down. We still have 32 regular season games to go, so feel really good about the team that we put together and that's kind of my job right now is helping out with the team and then of course from the business side uh, helping with sponsorships and partnerships and kind of figuring out ways to continue to get the fever name and brand out in the community
3: So Tamika as you move into the front office tell me about your team building philosophy is it already pretty solidified or is that something where you're taking some advice not only from those that you work with there at the Fever, but also uh, other contacts in basketball to, to form your opinion of how to build a team?
2: I think that you're, you're always a student of the game, whether you're playing, whether you're basically on or off the court. You're always a student in whatever profession you're in. So for me, I'm always more than willing to learn as much as I can. And you know, when I look at our team right now, our coach, Pokey Chapman, she's the coach and the GM. So she's been... Phenomenal to work with. Uh, her and the coaching staff have been great and just, she's one of those that, you know, she wants to teach me. And so she's kind of been giving me nuggets here and there from the GM standpoint and what to look for and words of wisdom, um, a lot of that. And then of course, my boss, Dr. Barber, who they brought in president and COO, she, uh, she's been great with just constantly feeding me, you know, little nuggets of some more wisdom, but just kind of ways to maneuver and just looking at it from, the top view down rather than, you know, kind of being right there on that level. And so really casting a vision and and trying to figure out, right, what do we want to build here? What type of team do we want to build? And, you know, you guys, you know what type of player I was and just kind of an all-out go-get-it, you know, whatever I can to make the team better. And so when I think about a team and think about a championship-caliber team and looking across the league and looking at the last two champions and, of course, our championship year in 2012 – And I really look at just kind of building the culture, having the right culture. And then, of course, with the players, you know, having a good mix of the veterans and rookies that can kind of mesh together and consistently build each other up. And just, you know, like I want to have fun. I mean, even though this is a business, I want our players to have fun. And when they go out there, you know, they Feel like they have all the resources that they need in order for them to be successful.
3: Well, you mentioned it as a player winning a championship in 2012, and it was a, it was a battle for you guys. I mean, you had to take several steps in order to eventually climb that mountain. What can you take from that experience, uh, being part of championship building as a player, and how can you use it as you guys try to grow the fever as currently constructed?
2: Well, you never take anything for granted, and we made it all the way to Game Five in 2009, lost to Phoenix Mercury in the championship game or that last game, and now I remember we were actually up. <laughs> I think we were up 2-0, and then Phoenix ended up coming back and and beating us in Game Five. And you know, you don't take each game for granted, but I think even beyond before that, making sure as you're going through the regular season that you literally are developing. Every single player, because you never know when something can go wrong. And then when you advance from 2009 to 2012, and I look at, we had two of our best shooters go down. Jeanette Poland went down in the finals, and Katie Douglas went down in the the conference finals. And so we literally had to play without our two best players on the floor. But I always say this, every single player was prepared to step up. We have a lot of young players right now in the league and a lot of young players on our team in particular. You know, you might not get the playing time that you're used to getting or, you know, even have an opportunity to even step on the floor. But you also have you have to figure out a way to stay ready. And so I think that's how you can build the best team when you're benched. You're all, everybody's going to have a great starting five in our league. But what really matters is the bench and the players that come off the bench and how they're able to impact the game. And so it's really important for us to make sure that our bench is always ready and in shape, whether they play one minute, two minutes, no minute, 15 minutes, you know, that they're ready to get in and, and contribute to the success of the team.
3: There are just not many people in the league that have had more diverse experiences than you have, from being a star player in the league, to being the president of the Players Association, to now your vice president role with the Fever, and now the league is coming up on a very important late summer and off season as they try to get the CBA worked out. In your mind, what needs to go down here with the CBA in order to continue to grow the league?
2: Well, I know the league, and, you know, we just hired a new commissioner for the WNBA, Kathy, and then, of course, you know, Mark Tatum has been the interim president thus far the last couple months. So I feel like we're in a good place in the WNBA. I mean, I feel like our leadership is is in constant communication with the Players Association and trying to figure out what the next steps are to get this CDA done. You know, I think on on my level now, from the team standpoint, you know, I'm not really – I don't really have contact with that. The league will come to us as team owners and executives in the individual team and ask opinions and, and make sure they get the feedback from us as far as where we want to go. But I do know that everybody's working diligently and that we will have, we will potentially have something signed uh, by the end of the summer.
3: Well, in the end, I mean, everybody wants what's best for the league. And you made a comment a few years ago just pointing out how young the league is in comparison uh, to some of the other major sports leagues in the United States. And we have to keep that in mind. Uh, so if you were going to really take the bull by the horns here as this league is at, I don't want to say an impasse, but a real um, turning point, I, I guess, what is the best way that the league can make inroads during this time to advance it as best as possible?
2: I would say, I mean, honestly not even thinking about the CBA and all of that, I, I think the biggest area that we will, we need to and we will improve in is the marketing aspect. You know, fortunately for our players, they play year-round for the most part. I mean, we'll literally have players, the season will end on one day and players will be Heading overseas two or three days later, and won't return back to the U.S. and back to their respective markets until two or three days before the season's gonna, before training camp's gonna start, or even sometimes even after training camp has started. So you go all that time with you know the WNBA not being marketed and uh, specific markets and even as a league overall. So I think we've done a better job the last couple of years, but if you had to look at it, you know we're kind of dealing with it right now in Indianapolis or in Indiana as a whole, where we're celebrating our 20th season, and we've been doing a 20-season tour and kind of taking the fever around the state of Indiana, and the response has been amazing, but, you know, you also look at it. The, the, some of them, some people are really excited, and some people have never heard about the Indiana fever, and so I look at it, that as, okay, that's a great challenge for us as an organization. How do we make sure, because we are the Indiana fever, how do we make sure that everybody in Indiana realizes that the fever are the team of the whole state, not just Indianapolis? And so, um, I think you take the, the city perspective or the state perspective and you blow that up into the U.S. perspective and how does the WNBA take a hold on, you know, building the brand and being able to, from a marketing standpoint, being able to hit every single market and, and trying to potentially even look at, Smaller markets and different markets that don't have don't currently have WNBA teams. How do we market to them?
3: Yeah, there are so many out there, so many untapped fan bases. I agree with you. But I've been really excited about the media. Uh, it seems like, uh, my gosh, the the media coverage has been as good as it's ever been this year in the WNBA. How impressed are you? And and you're kind of a member of the media too. Sometimes, how impressed are you with the media is stepping up in some way and taking ownership and saying it's, it's up to us as well to try to advance this game.
2: I mean, I love it. I love how people are now taking ownership of the WNBA. And, you know, we do have a lot of people in social media and in the media that, you know, don't support the WNBA. But, we have even more people that do. And so I love that people are actually taking ownership of what the WNBA is and who we are as players, and they want to see us be successful.
3: And you brought something up a moment ago um, about players having to play year round. And of course, a huge headline early in the season has been the absence of Brianna Stewart because of her injury overseas and I'm interested to hear from the perspective of a competing team about uh, your thoughts on the WNBA's decision to give Stewie an ambassadorship this year. Um, It certainly seems like a good thing on the surface, but what is your view of it uh, from a competing team's perspective?
2: Well, I mean, I think the league overall is trying to figure out how to do new things, how to be innovative. And, you know, I I definitely believe that we need to figure out ways to advance the league and the WNBA and being able to utilize players and whatever that looks like. You know, I think that I'm super anxious to see how this plays out, not just with with Brianna Stewart, but with all the teams and being able to have the same opportunity for players to be able to, for us to be able to use players as the WNBA and, and within market to be able to have that deal. So, you know, I think that for me, I've always been an ambassador for the league, and I've always, you know, you kind of, when you're a player, you kind of automatically are, and, you know, when I finished playing in the WNBA, I actually signed an ambassador deal, which allowed me the opportunity to, you know, advocate and, and be an ambassador through the NBA and the WNBA and the G League and, you know, being able to do a lot of different things. You know, I totally agree with the WNBA overall trying to be innovative and trying to figure out ways to um, utilize players, but I do and I will be, I'm extremely anxious to see how this will play out with other teams as well.
3: And I know we're all anxious to see Brianna Stewart back on the floor as soon as possible, but I mean, an Achilles injury is tough and you know that you went through one in 2007. You also had that very public ACL tear at the end of your college career as well that caused you to miss your first WNBA season. How would you compare the two injuries and the ensuing rehabs?
2: <laughs> oh, that's hard. You know, I always say I wouldn't wish—I wouldn't wish my worst enemy to have an Achilles tear. I mean, it was the worst pain I've ever been in in my life thus far. They're two different injuries. You know, the Achilles—you literally you can't do anything and. I remember when I did my knee, it hurt, but once I got over the initial shock, it was like, okay, take me up and put me back out there. Like, I'll be fine. I I can run. I can walk. I can do all that stuff. With the Achilles, it was one of those things where it was like a constant pain that you can't get through until I had surgery. And then, of course, the rehab process and getting through, I mean, it's just like any other injury, and I've had the opportunity to talk to Stuart a little bit. It's, It's tough. It is tough, but just like anything, when you want to be an elite basketball player, it's tough and you work through it and you put in the extra hours and you're doing everything that you could possibly do. Um, I was blessed to be here in, in an organization where we have both the Fever and the Pacers and, you know, I've had some amazing trainers to work with. Josh Corbio from, you know, the Pacers side, Holly Heisman from this side over here, Todd Champlin from this side. Um, you know, so I had a lot of great people that I was able to work with, but, Coming back from the Achilles it is definitely a road that is hard and tough, but you know, when you put your mind to doing something and getting through and wanting to get back to the elite level of playing, you're willing to go through the sacrifice.
3: Well, I have no doubt that she will be back and uh, better than ever, but you bring up something kind of interesting there uh, as a former Lady Vol yourself. It seems like that uh, UConn Tennessee rivalry is getting rekindled a little bit. Is that exciting for you?
2: It is exciting. You know, I think that when you go back to it and for, for me being able to be a part of it, it was one of those things that these were, those were the games that you look forward to. I mean, of course, you look forward to all the other games, but it was just like there was so much emphasis put on Geno versus Pat and Tennessee versus Yukon and you know, just the the fun time. It's funny though because you know, you go through four years of a rivalry and, and being pitted against each other and then you know, when I graduated and I got picked up from Indiana Kelly Schumacher was one of my teammates, and I was kind of like literally torn, like, do I like her or do I not like her? Because <laughs> <laughs> We are taught not to like each other, so, you know, like the first initial interaction is kind of funny when you look back on it, but uh, we became, you know, really good friends in and, and the team, and then, of course, the Olympic team, and being able to play with Diana and Sue and, you know, and Swin, one of my really good friends. And then you kind of move forward. So it's just, it's, and then Gino coaching me, um, my last two Olympic games. So it's kind of funny when you look at the transition, but I think overall the rivalry is such a huge part of our game. And just when you think about women's basketball, that really the drive. And when a lot of people, those eras of us playing, when a lot of people started kind of tuning in and it became like the game of the year to watch. the the game during the regular season and, of course, you know, when you get to the championship round. So I'm excited about it coming back. I think it's great for the women's game and for the college game. And, you know, I, I, of course, am am going to be rooting for my Tennessee Lady Vols. I bleed on. So, um, So bring it on. This is going to be fun.
3: And I've got to bring up Kelly Harper taking over the job there with the Lady Vols. Uh, She did a fantastic job with Missouri State. She's somebody who went to Tennessee. Of course, you've got uh, an experience with her as well. So what's your reaction to Kelly taking over that job?
2: I'm excited for KJ. I I think Kelly will do a great job with the team. And, you know, I think looking back at Holly and thinking about Pat and You know the legacy that she left, and just what what she was for all of us. Anybody that came behind her was going to be put in a hard situation. And you know, Coach Warwick, I'm so proud of her and and proud of who she is and what she you know what she was able to do while she was at University of Tennessee. And I think that KJ will step into it, and you know she'll bring a, a different perspective to the team and to the ladies. And I think that she will have some success. Being a Lady Vol and being able to have somebody that's been a part of our family to step into that role was a huge step. But I think that, you know, KJ will come in. She paid her due at other school and the success that she's been able to have, you know, I think will align here at Tennessee. And I think that she will. I mean, I feel like her and John, her husband, will build a, a great program and continue to build off the name that we have and the reputation and you know get us back to where we were
3: you won a national championship there at tennessee you also uh, got a wnba championship and of course four gold medals as well in the olympic games and I know you've been asked a million times over the course of your career to compare them, but I did not look up one of your responses because I wanted to be surprised. So so what do you say when somebody asks what felt biggest to you? What made you feel most accomplished?
2: I honestly say that there's no way to compare all of that. There are totally different levels, and each one of them represents it's from the Olympic Games, each one of them, I mean, it's every four years, it represents a different part and a different period of my life. And then, of course, winning in, in college at Tennessee, and, I mean, I'm a, I'm a baby. <laughs> it's like me leaving my mom's house and going to college and us having you know, a super successful season and, and coming out with a championship. And then you look at the WNBA championship in 2012 and all the years, that it took for us to finally win a championship, but they're all so rewarding in different ways, and they encompass so much of my life, and it's just kind of like you see the trend and you see just the direction that you go in from college to the pros to the Olympics and beyond. So uh, I I can't compare. It's just they're all amazing.
3: You've been so good about your life after basketball. I mean, just giving yourself options. And you've had so many things going on as well. How important is being intentional about that? And what do you say to other players when they come and ask you about their life after basketball? Maybe they're a little bit unfocused. What do you tell them?
2: I, my advice is you have to start early. And a lot of our players, especially when you look at professional athletes, but I think this can even go back to college athletes and you know, being able to have the opportunity to talk to them while they're in college about what is your your path when you're finished, because there's only I mean when you look at the WNBA there's 144 spots, 12 teams, 144 spots, 12 players per team. What are the chances? What are the odds that you will be one of those players that will be on one of those teams and take a spot? So worst case scenario, if you're not, what will you do next? And I think you know really being able to start that thought process in college and then. You know, when you do make the pros, that's kind of like the icing on the cake as you continue to to build in that career. But even while you're playing, you know, I tell our players here, the most important time to network, the most important time to start experimenting and trying different things is while you're still playing. Because that's when people really want to talk to you and really want to give you the opportunity and really want to show you around and really want to show you what their job is and, you know, give you a one-day internship to kind of shadow and, and see what they have going on, but those are the times to take advantage of those opportunities. A lot of players, while they hear the messages, while they may even comprehend and understand what's being said, they still wait until they're finished playing, and then the road is a lot harder. And so, you know, for me, coming into the WNBA, really I was hurt that first year, so focusing on getting in the community and trying to build as many relationships as I could that first year then started speaking quite a bit, did, the, you know, did the, uh, the fever tour in all the local elementary schools. So I did that my first year and then kind of started the foundation. My sister and I started the Catch Your Stars Foundation in 2004. That's still going on. We're celebrating our 15th year this year. And then, you know, so there was, and I keep saying, and then, and then, and then. So there was a lot of different points and a lot of different things that I did outside of basketball. So by the time I got to this point, when I was finished, it was like, okay, let me look at the skill sets that I have, you know, I know how to market, I know how to build, I know how to put on my own basketball camp, you know, you know how to plan, you know how to goal set goals. There's so many things that you learn through the process that when you're finished and you really are sitting there and you're writing your resume and trying to figure out, okay, like what's next, you have previous experience on what you like and what you don't like. And that's what's so important to share with these players.
3: I mean, you've almost been too good at it, though. I mean, you've had the tea shop, you've had your job with the Fever as well. You've had your catch the stars foundation, of course. Um, is there a point at which you go, "All right, this is just this is a little bit too much"? I gotta, I gotta back off here.
2: <laughs> um, <I'm> right now, <laughs> right now, no, it's not necessarily slowing down. It, for me, it's now about narrowing my my focus because I think that the last couple of years, you know, I've been able to try a lot of different things, even beyond playing and it's like, okay, let me try this. and Let me try that. And let me do this. and Let me go there and and go there. And, you know, so now I think it's really a, a, I'm to the point of trying to narrow my focus, you know, because by the way, I commentate too. And so, you know, you add a lot of different elements to what, you know, what I'm doing, but I love to do all of them because it gives me touch with, Pretty much, you know, every generation from, the, from my babies, you know, being a part of the USA uh, U16 basketball committee, selecting the team for U16 to commentating and touching the college level to, you know, our camps and clinics to our foundation, touch the high school level, and then, of course, the pro level, the college, you know, the pro level that we're at. So I think now it's just a matter of, all right, how do I narrow my focus a little bit to be able to give 100% impact? to one or two
3: areas. And you've done such a wonderful job over the course of your career, winning every single battle along the way. And another one that you've won is with your hearing loss. And I, I just got to say, I'm so amazed as a broadcaster, I have a tough enough time stringing words together and sounding good and I don't have hearing loss, but you're a commentator. Uh, you are uh, a public speaker. You're one of the biggest spokespeople that the WNBA has. What kind of commitment has it taken in your personal life to fight through that challenge and to make it a, another point in life that, where you win?
2: I was born with a mild to moderate hearing loss, so I do wear hearing aids in both ears. But... You know, really, when you look at basketball and just being able to play all the years that I did, basketball and the majority of the sports are based off of sign language. You know, you got got hand signals to direct whatever the play is. So, you know, that's kind of like on the court. But I think really being able to develop a confidence about myself. And, you know, I, I credit a lot to, obviously, my parents growing up and my, my brother and my sister and just the confidence that they had in me. But Coach Summit was a big part of me getting back in the way in my hearing aids and actually speaking out about being hearing impaired and sharing my story and you know she was the one that said like one day your story will impact thousands maybe millions of people and think about all the kids that will go through what you've gone through and feel like they're all alone you provide them an opportunity where they can see somebody invisibly set a goal and achieve to be just like you and so that was kind of my motivation early on. Like I want kids to feel like, to not feel like they're alone and to know that there are people like them and that's me. Um, So that was kind of like my my first emphasis. And I think when I got to commentating, I turned it down a couple of times. And when I got asked, I turned it down because I was worried about not being able to hear. And I was worried about, well, what what if I don't sound right? If, what if I slur my words or what if, all the what if that could go wrong is... The things that were the first couple of times that I turned it down were the things, the reasons why I did. And finally, when I accepted it, it was kind of like you know, you have an opportunity to step into a role and once again be a role model from the other side, not necessarily on the court. Now you're on the broadcasting side, and to show that you know we can literally do whatever we put our mind to. And you know, I, yes, I struggle sometimes with hearing, and yes, I struggle sometimes with getting my words out, but even while I'm out there, I'm having fun and you know doing something that probably a lot of people like me that go grow, grow, have grown up with a hearing impairment or a speech impediment never thought that they'd be able to achieve.
3: How cool is that? Inspirational, wonderful. That is the great Tamika Catchings here on the Her Hoop Stats Podcast. We so appreciate her time. I'd love to hear from you what you most got out of that conversation. And I know I got a lot out of it myself. And also, I was really happy this week when the Minnesota Lynx were in Dallas, uh, in Arlington to to take on the Dallas Wings, uh, to talk with the new radio play-by-play voice of the Minnesota Lynx, Sloane Martin. Just listen to her story. It's not just the players that we're trying to advance in the WNBA. it's It's the broadcasters, too. And specifically... Let's be honest, diversity in broadcasting. And that's what Sloan Martin represents, the radio play-by-play voice of the Minnesota Lynx. Congratulations, first of all. I was so excited to see what about a month ago uh, when you were named the play-by-play voice, how long did you have to sit on that and uh, keep that quiet?
1: You know, it was a little bit. I want to say it was maybe a week or so because my predecessor, John Fokey, we didn't want to ruin his announcement because right. he was going over to the Charlotte Hornets. So it was uh, exciting to keep under wraps. And uh, my husband's also in media, and he had to keep it under wraps to everyone that we know in media on the Twin Cities. So it was, uh, it was pretty fun.
3: Well, it is so exciting. Tell me a little bit about your journey so far through broadcasting. I, I read a little bit about it, but I want to hear it from from your eyes and from your voice, what you've done over the uh, last few
2: years.
1: Yeah, I played Division Three basketball in Western New York State um, and when that was done, I worked behind the scenes at a local CBS station and then I decided, you know, I really want to be in front of the mic, I want to be a broadcaster and there weren't really any opportunities there. So I ended up working at very small town radio, a town of actually a city of around 15000 We lived there with the cheapest rent I'll ever see in my life. It was about $450 a month in this area, so that definitely helped us out at that time but I was reading obituaries and community events but also reporting uh, but doing play-by-play at the same time so carrying my equipment through the snow doing high school games football basketball um, you know in really rural areas then was able to advance over to Buffalo both as a reporter anchor at WBEN and then also doing University of Buffalo women's basketball traveling with them the MAC still has a very important place in my heart. All of those places. Spent a lot of time in Ohio, but uh, appreciated that time. And then finally moved to Minnesota doing uh, other big broadcasts here and then just started doing a Big Ten Network in the last year.
3: Is there any particular reason that you zeroed in on the Minneapolis-St. Paul area as far as your full-time job goes, or is that just kind of where things led you, because that's where the job was?
1: Yeah, that's really where things led. It was actually, we moved from my husband's job, so I dropped everything that I had, including that UB job that I loved so much. I was traveling with them, had really close bonds with people on the team, and it taught me so much about working with the team, being a part of an organization um, and then telling the stories of everyone that's involved. And it was really tough. I came to the Twin Cities with nothing and it's just been incredible after opportunity after another. And I love being there so much.
3: That is so selfless of you, but that's what you have to do in a marriage. Sometimes my wife has done it for me, you know, in the, in the same sort of way. And um, how satisfying is it now that You know, you've got the full time reporter position and then you've got, oh, my gosh, the Minnesota Lynx job as well. Things have really fallen into place.
1: Oh, yeah. I think about where I was five years ago, living in that small town, not even having the University of Buffalo job yet. Wondering where things were going to take me. Should I quit? Should I go work somewhere where you get federal holidays off? (laughs) Um, And I it just makes me feel really Really assured in my decisions that I've made in my career because it was really scary to drop things and to come somewhere. So to now have you know be a broadcaster full time, really including you know my reporting job at WCCO Radio, uh, to be a full time broadcaster in a top fifteen market is it's really fun to look back on.
3: WCCO, have they been good about uh, you know letting you uh, take this opportunity and, and, and being supportive of you?
1: This is not just the company line. Really, it has been. It's caught me by surprise because I am, you know, traveling with the team and we travel commercially. So that is just a little bit more cumbersome than obviously chartering flights and Mm -hmm. things like that. So it takes me out for a little bit longer. Cannot tell you how excited everyone was for me. Like truly Appreciative of everything that I've worked to do. Um, you know, I work a lot of days that are 4 a.m. to noon, uh, so they kind of see me going through all of this, and they were genuinely happy for me. They have me on their shows, put me on the site. I'm sometimes like, okay, like, I appreciate it, but I get it, guys.
3: <laughs> well, that is so exciting. What are you most looking forward to this season? What, uh, a, When you picture in your mind's eye the, the thing that you're most looking forward to, what is it, or did it already happen with the opener?
1: You know, to me, it is it's seeing this franchise that from afar, before I even moved to the Twin Cities, I knew the investment was here from Glenn and Becky Taylor. The kind of investment that is put into this team, not just financially, but the resources that they're given, um, the way that they treat a WNBA team in this city, the kind of fan base. So to be surrounded by that, to interact with people, that is something that has been very exciting for me. But I think what I'm most looking forward to is really the narrative of this team, having only three returning starters. You have Simone Augustus, who's going to be out for quite some time now after she just had knee surgery. So you basically are down to Sylvia Fowles as that one remaining member of this core group that... WNBA fans have become so familiar with during this Lynx dynasty and seeing them really prove people wrong. I think it's possible with the pieces that were put together in Cheryl Reeve's second year as a general manager. So kind of going through the ups and downs, seeing how they are really able to, uh, I think, prove people wrong.
3: Sloan, I would be remiss if I didn't just finally get a perspective from you about women in sports broadcasting and where you think we are right now I think of some people I know that have been able to advance and and do play-by-play you know as a woman and I'm so excited for that where do you fall on it do you fall in that it's a really big deal or that it needs to not be a big deal so let's just power forward It, it doesn't really matter man or woman
1: I think that it does matter because I think that representation does matter. I think that the earlier we get kids to see different kinds of people in all different kinds of roles, any kind of type of dominated professions, mm-hmm. to mix things up I think is important because it's just going to normalize it in the future and make it easier for other people who are able to see themselves in that role literally take off with it. I, I hate to think about people who may have really had the talent to do this and the drive to do this but were turned away for for whatever reasons that they faced along this road whatever barriers they faced and i don't want that to happen to other people in the future so i think we will get to a point i hope in my lifetime at least where it is a non-newsworthy item whether it's women's sports or men's sports and that people and girls feel like this is a completely normal route that they can go in their broadcasting career.
3: I think that's awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Sloan. Congratulations on the awesome gig and uh, good luck this season.
1: All right. Thanks very much.
3: There's Sloan Martin on the Her Hoop Stats podcast as a big radio nerd. I'm just so excited that she's got this opportunity. There are so few teams in the league that do an exclusive radio broadcast these days. I'm so glad that she's got the opportunity to do it. Watch out for Sloane Martin. She's got a bright career ahead of her, and she's got just getting started with the Minnesota Lynx, taking over for John Fokey, who did a great job over many years in Minnesota. So our next show, I'm sure you're eager to know who's going to be on. Uh, yeah, you're going to be really excited about this I hope you're as excited as I am I was over the moon when I found out that we would have this young lady on the show
1: you know it's tough right now um because I know that I'm ready for the WNBA right now like if I were to get a call I could play right I know I could play right now because I have that much confidence in myself you know a lot of a lot of people will say maybe it's a little bit too different of a game at that next level you know at the end of the day it's basketball and I've been playing it my whole life
3: One of the three or four biggest storylines this year in the WNBA, Megan Gustafson getting cut from the Dallas Wings, the National Player of the Year. And we talked to Megan, an all-encompassing conversation. She said, hey, there's nothing off-limits here. So we go after it on the next edition of the Her Hoop Stats podcast. So make sure to subscribe or like us, rate and review us so other people can find not only today's conversation with Tamika and Sloan, but next week's conversation as well as we catch up with Megan Gustafson. You can also catch up with us by emailing us at podcast at herhoopstats.com, podcast at herhoopstats.com. I'll make sure to respond to all those emails, comments, suggestions. You want to rip me, whatever you want to do, I'm I'm happy to hear it. But thanks so much for all the great feedback. You're spurring us on to do a great show here on the Her Hoop Stats podcast. Hey, the announcer of the Her Hoop Stats podcast is Susie Solis, our music by Jared Deck, and the executive producer of the Her Hoop Stats podcast is Aaron bars alive? I'm John Little. You can catch me at John Little Voice on Twitter. Little spelled with D's. At the Her Hoop Stats podcast, we are unlocking better insight about the women's game. Her Hoop Stats.